And I think you have to go through some degree of trial, some degree of tribulation in order to really appreciate what not having those trials and tribulations look like. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, how many of us right now would love to find out and discover how we are naturally wired to excel? And, and when we found that, when we discovered that, would feel the flame and the fire and the fuel in our soul and be willing to run through walls and put in the effort. How many of us would do that right now? I'm willing to bet that every single one of us would do that right now. And last week, I talked about at the end of at the introduction to my episode 100 with my beautiful wife, Lisa, we talked about the fact that one of the number one traits among the highest performers that I've interviewed is the fact that they are willing and ready to reinvent themselves. And today on this episode, we get to speak with Steve Ulsher. He is America's reinvention expert and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do. And we are going to talk about the importance of finding out how you are wired to excel and what gives fire to your soul. We're going to talk about the importance of gaining clarity on what your core gifts are and then choosing the vehicle that you will use to share that gift with the world. Now, Steve was born and raised an entrepreneur, and he has constantly reinvented himself along his journey from a 19-year-old club owner to the owner of Liquor.com, which he was lucky enough to acquire many, many years ago, to the creator of the New Media Summit and beyond. Now, people don't try to reinvent themselves unless they are driven by something, oftentimes pain or a setback. And the number one crisis that most people face is not a lack of money, and that, but as you've heard me say over and over again, it is a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning, a lack of clarity about what their core gifts and talents are. And through decades of ups and downs, Steve was constantly going back to that same question, how am I naturally wired to excel and what really does give fire to my soul? In that question, the what is your what framework that Steve has created was born. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, embrace for impact, and be sure to show me and Steve and our other guests some love on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter, and let them know what you've taken away from this week's episode. Again, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Thanks for listening. Steve Ulster, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you. Uh, I, I envision our conversation kind of starting out 
with the milestones going back to your childhood that make you who you are. So, you know, there's a, you're a New York Times bestselling author, but there's still a lot of the people that may have not experienced your work or your mindset and understand what has shaped and molded you. So maybe you could take us back in time and give us some of the highlights, some of the lowlights and the milestones that have made you who you are today. You know, it depends on how granular we want to get here, right? Uh, but reality is, uh, certainly from a business perspective, I think I've just always been naturally wired uh, as an entrepreneur. I mean, and some people say that entrepreneurs can be made. I'm, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I mean, I think entrepreneurs are are just kind of born and, you know, it's either in your blood or it's not. And some try to be entrepreneurs when they're not. And, uh, you know, I mean, we can see results that happen from, uh, from, from those efforts. And I, I don't know. I mean, realistically, it's one of those things where as long as I can remember, I mean, from the time I was old enough to pick up a rake and uh, try to move some leaves around or grab a shovel and shovel, you know, sidewalks and driveways, uh, I've just always been wired to try to make a, a buck. I, I don't know uh, where that where that came from exactly. I, I I think it's just part of the the DNA, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's just a part of who I am. If you can see uh, over my shoulder, if this will actually be a video, I know we're on video now, but um, yeah. a lot of folks are listening by audio. But over my uh, my my right shoulder, probably the left side of your screen, that's uh, actually a picture of my grandfather, hmm. um, who was really my first mentor uh, and uh, a gentleman who I very much respected and loved. And um, and he was an entrepreneur uh, actually in the liquor business and uh, ended up starting a, a chain of liquor stores in the Chicago area uh, that became foremost liquor stores. And I ended up working for him for uh, for years on and off, just, you know, summer stocking shelves, those sort of things. And uh, eventually ended up working with him full time uh, later on in my 20s before he passed. But it's uh, it's just been an interesting road, man, of, uh, of music and DJing and opened up my own nightclub when I was 19 and got into the catalog business in my early 20s. And then after uh, all of that fun stuff, the internet started to kick up and uh, saw that writing on the wall pretty early. So... We actually launched uh, that ca- that catalog business on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. So, been online for uh, you know better part of two decades, and that company ended up becoming Liquor.com, which is a domain that I bought in '98. And uh, man, you know, just so many trials and tribulations and iterations and so on that uh, led to. All sorts of other things, but I'll uh, I'll let you get a word in here edgewise, and uh, we can go from there. I'm just curious what you paid for Liquor.com back in the in the 90s. Yeah, so 98 is when I got that. Um, what you got? Any guesses? I have no idea. I mean, just relative to like, I, I can imagine what you might have sold it for, but like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we um we actually bought Liquor.com and Bourbon.com at the same time. And, oh my gosh. Um, and so there was a kid, I mean, he was literally a kid. He was like, I don't know, 20, you know, whatever he was. He was young. He was just squatting on the domains and uh, basically negotiated out a deal. That at the time, it felt like it was a lot of money. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to sit here and say that it was a decision that we literally, you know, we racked our, our heads uh, on it to say, hey, is this going to make sense for us to do it? But we paid $7,500 for both liquor.com and bourbon.com in 98. 
Wow. And, uh, and, and it really did change the face of, uh, of our business. There's no doubt about that. So much so that in March of 2000, uh, we actually had the S1 filed and we were ready to go public uh, because we had built a pretty good-sized business. We were doing millions of dollars in annual revenue. We were uh, working with all the biggest brands in the world. Uh, we really just needed money for marketing, which was our goal uh, for taking the company public. I mean, just back in the early 2000s, the internet was it was still a strange place you know it wasn't one of these things where you could just put something up and folks will just find you mm-hmm. you know it was uh, it was a different frontier back then mm. uh, and and so we needed money for marketing you know we needed money to let people know that we existed uh, and when we filed the s1 the markets were red hot uh, and when we were ready to go out in march of 2000 that was literally the beginning of the end when everything imploded uh, and needless to say, we, we couldn't go public. We couldn't raise the public funds because the markets completely dried up. And, uh, and I ended up walking away from that whole business after nine years of building it, uh, first as a catalog business and then in uh, the online space. Uh, but I actually walked away from that whole company, including the domain, uh, when there was a, a clear issue between me and the, the management team that we had brought in to take us to quote unquote the promised land because Wall Street wanted to see uh, different management in place because they thought I was too young to be that uh, C-suite exec and you know the whole nine, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, ended up reclaiming the domain about six years later, which is an interesting story. Uh, But I'm actually still involved with it uh, to this day, not on a day-to-day, but uh, but on a board level. So there's so much actually there that I think that most people would just skip over, but I don't think it's a coincidence that you love your grandfather and you, you one of your first really big successful forays in the online space was with liquor and bourbon.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know the, the connection there. And then I feel free to share the story about how you re, how you got back into it and the lessons that you learned during the trough, because I, I think that the number one mistake that people make, when they're experiencing adversity is not like letting that adversity like become them and and working through it and and using it as an opportunity to experience something so maybe like take us back to your grandfather what what was the the thing you loved most about him the lesson he taught you and why you decided to to carry his legacy on into the digital age you know, it's uh, it is it is interesting. I mean, there's there's no doubt that I learned uh, a ton from him. Not the least of which is uh, he was probably the most forgiving person that uh, that I've ever known. And mm-hmm. and I think in business, uh, it's it's a really powerful trait, um, especially when you're in the retail business. You know, there, there's a lot of folks uh, who will never experience what it's like. I mean, especially. Uh, the Gen Zers, the Millennials, and so on. I mean, there's a lot of folks who will never experience what it's like to actually work in a physical environment with other people. You know, we're in this environment now of people uh, just kind of doing everything virtually, right? So uh, retail, there's, you know, when you when you come right down to it, retail is a tough business. I mean, you got people coming into your presence... <laughs> On on a daily basis, and you know how human beings are. You know, I think two out of every ten human beings that walk this planet is probably just screwed out of their minds, right? So you got to figure out of every hundred customers you get in on any given day, uh, twenty of them could probably turn on a dime in a heartbeat, right? So it's uh, it's a different experience where you you have to um, 
be flexible. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be willing to accommodate and you have to be willing to just take a, a different approach to just human interaction, right? And and he was always really, really good at making people feel special and making people feel comfortable. And and even when people transgressed against him in business, uh, he was just consistently able to forgive. I mean, it doesn't mean he would forget, but he wouldn't let that consume him. And it's just a really, just a special guy. So I was just going to say, so how did, how did you, how do you carry those lessons forward into what you're doing today? And in particular with, you know, why you decided to, to do liquor.com and, and bourbon.com? Yeah. So it was, so it was a family business. Uh, so my mom actually worked for uh, my grandfather, after uh, my parents divorced in 1980, uh, she, my mom, ended up uh, going to work for him uh, because, well, she needed to, right? And she um, was in that business uh, until the time that uh, that basically I graduated from college. I opened and, and left the nightclub that I had uh, built and was trying to figure out what was next. And both of them basically said, hey, you know, we, we think you should come and, uh, and work with us. And so in hindsight, I mean, it was great to be able to work with my grandfather for a few years uh, before his passing. And then uh, my mom and I actually worked together uh, for about nine years. But I don't think it would have been a first choice, right? I mean, it was just simply a matter of honoring that request to help with the family business and then being 20-something at the time and being more in touch with what was going on from a technology standpoint and so on and really seeing that writing on the wall. Uh, It was just simply a matter of, you know, look, if we're going to do this, then together here then then this is where i see this going and and that was the push to go into the online world so uh you know if, I, if i'm being honest about it i don't really have a love for the liquor business i don't i think it's a good commodity business and you know i mean i'll have an occasional drink here and there and uh it's not my drug of choice by any stretch you know but uh but you know i'll have a I'll have a drink here and there, but I, I will say this, which is if it wasn't for the family business, I don't think uh, it's something that I would have have pursued, but I wanted to do whatever I could do uh, to really honor him and honor his efforts and his legacy. Uh, and then being able to work with mom for, for nine years as it ended up being hmm. uh, was pretty rare. I mean, we seldom have an opportunity to work with our, with our parents and so let, let alone your parent and your grandparent. So mm-hmm. That uh, that was uh, that was a time that uh, that I'll cherish. What when you were going through the the dot com bust and everything was kind of falling apart and and it seemed like your dreams were being you know evaporating right before your eyes. What was the number one limiting belief that you had to deal with on a daily basis? You know, it was interesting, man, because uh, right after the dot com bust, you had the real estate boom. Right? I mean, that's when things got pretty nuts there. And I didn't really have time to, to rest. I just, I couldn't sit back and rest on my laurels and try to figure out, you know, what was next. I didn't have the luxury of time 
to be able to do that because literally everything that we had in terms of uh, dividends or profits from the business uh, were reinvested in the business. So when things didn't go to plan, we had invested heavily into that IPO, right? So there was so there was no money, there was no golden parachute. I didn't have the the luxury of trying to to just sit there and and wallow in it, right? And and mourn that loss. So I, I literally had to jump into the next thing because I had mouths to feed and bills to pay. And so, you know, that the the limiting belief, if you will, um, that to some extent, I think probably still sits with me to this day, is that I, I can't be uh, an Elon Musk or, or someone of that nature who's going to build uh, billion-dollar businesses. And, and that's something... Uh, I'm not sure that I want to build a billion-dollar type business, but I do think that there's a, a certain limiting belief around whether or not I can really build something that is massively successful. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to build something that's massively successful? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is ego, Mm -hmm. right? The easy answer is just, it's a game. And as someone who is not a professional athlete, as someone who uh, has never really excelled in in sports in any sort of way or any other type of game, uh, to me, this is the game that I play. Mm-hmm. And it's the scorecard that I live by. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> I was just reading an article uh, about a, a hedge fund guy out of Chicago uh, who bought three floors of a, of a new condo building at three floors of three a floors. new condo building yeah. uh, and ended up paying you know over $57 million for those three floors. And this is on top of the three floors of another building that he owns in New York that he paid $200 million for and so on. And it's just like, Jesus, you know, we all have the same number of hours in the day. I was actually just talking to my wife about this yesterday. And, you know, there's, there's, I think that's the scorecard for me is like, we all have the same number of hours in the day. And if money is ultimately one of the, you know, the, the statistics, if you will, uh, that we look at to see how well we're doing in that game, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not hurting, but at the same token, um, those, you know, <laughs> those types of numbers are like, it's like, it might as well be monopoly money to me. So I know it's possible. Yeah. And even that I know it's possible. That's what's most frustrating. Uh, and that's, I think what keeps driving me to do something. It's, uh, it's just a matter of, I know it's possible. And I don't feel as though I've been able to, to get to that level. Mm-hmm. I don't know that mm-hmm. I actually want the things necessarily. Right. So I want and. and and of course, having those funds would allow me to do other things and support other initiatives. Um, so it's not the things; it's not the three floors of a condo, you know, tower that I want. Uh, but it's more of just a scorecard, I think. So, you know, as a financial advisor, I see a lot of people that have have made a lot of money, and one of the things that I can definitely say about about that is uh, money is nice, but it sure adds a lot of unnecessary complexity to one's life. Right. That so it's really a matter of like what are you willing to suffer for? And you know, for me, I I I see money as the great facilitator of being able to impact lives. And um that's that's my lens that I look through money. And I I know what I need to enjoy the life that I want. And so I remain relatively detached from 
you know, the, the auspices of trying to uh, accumulate millions of dollars just because I know just the, the sheer complexity and what happens to people. But one thing that you said that, that comes to mind is that there, there, you know, there's, we have the same number of hours in the day, same number of hours in a week, year, month, et cetera. And so it really comes down to commitment, skill, talent, and opportunity. And I'd be curious, like if you were like thinking about that in terms of like that hedge fund guy who you've never met, right? Versus yourself, and you were like, okay, out of a hundred percent, and we've got these four categories. Where does my commitment, skill, talent, and opportunity line up in, from a percentage allocation? So if we have to, if if we have to add it up to to a hundred, I think the opportunity right now, I've got I've got a couple of decent opportunities that I'm that I'm looking at. So, but at the end of the day, I think if you have uh, the skill and the talent, you can apply it to to anything, no matter what it might be. Commitment um, would certainly be the lowest number. There, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I've been on what I would probably call cruise control here mm-hmm. uh, for the better part of nine years, mm, somewhere around there. So, basically, in in around 2009 or so. Uh, I decided that I wasn't going to be pursuing those commodity-driven opportunities because I was doing real estate development. As I said, after the dot-com implosion, I got into real estate um, and ended up doing uh, you know a fair number of projects. I ended up holding about fifty million dollars in assets, and um, some of those projects did really well. Some of those projects ended up getting caught in the in the crashes of twenty oh six to twenty oh eight. So you know, kind of hit or miss on, on that front. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd give myself a good solid B plus on it. But uh, reality is that in that 2009-ish period, I decided you know I'm going to head down this path of coaching and writing and speaking and doing some teaching. And so when I look at the you know the opportunities that are that are present for me, those are those are plentiful, right? So I think the talent is there, the skill is there. It's really a commitment because I. I've been able to. I've got two kids that are 14 and 11 now, uh, and you know I've been able to. I've worked at home basically since I was uh, since the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So being able to spend a, a lot of time with them, take them to school every day, and whatnot. I mean that was really really important to me. So my commitment wasn't to building businesses; it was really to sustaining and doing what I needed to do so that I could spend time with my wife and with my kids and so on. Um, and now that they're a little bit older, I think that the commitment level is going to rise. The talent and the skill are always there. So it's a matter of the opportunities and the, and the commitment. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. That's, yeah. that's, I love that. I love that. And it's, it's applying your skill and talent being present where you are. And right now you're doing the things that, that matter most and with your kids. And, and I have four kids too. Wow. And, um, Good for you. <laughs> and uh, my oldest is 12. My youngest is seven. And yeah. I, I got to tell you, I came home from a business trip last night. I came home early. They thought I was coming home. I was going to be home after they were in bed. And I got home and I'm like, I'm going to ring the doorbell. And I rang the doorbell <laughs> and my oldest was walking down the hallway and she kind of looked through and she saw it was me because I have, I was wearing my fedora. I was a fedora that I wear. And, and she goes, dad. And all the kids just come running through yeah. to the door and just tackle me. It's the best thing, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's good when your kids actually like you. Yeah, it's nice. It's <laughs> nice. So 
you know, you are America's reinvention expert. You've written this great book and there's a lot of passion in it. You can, you can tell that you've put a lot of effort in, into the, the book and that you really want to make a difference with it. So what's the pain behind that passion? Like what, it doesn't necessarily have to be your own personal pain, but what, what is, what drew you to writing this particular book right now? Yeah, because in reality for me is it's always been a question. The book you're referring to, I believe is the, I've written three, but I believe you're referring to what is your what, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So, um, so for me, it's, it's really always been a question of how am I naturally wired to excel and what really does put fire in my soul. And I, I, I think earlier you said something about passion being. Uh, you you phrased no, that really, I, really well. What I said I said that the number one crisis people face. Uh, I think if, if you're referring to this, I said the yes. number one crisis that people face is not a lack of money; it's a lack of purpose. Lack of purpose, right? Exactly, and so so that has always been a struggle for me, and that's really eloquently stated. I really like that. And so, after having tried the Myers Briggs and the What Colors Your Parachutes and yeah. Strengths Finders and so on, uh, I really felt like those modalities really left me with more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And it was frustrating because you know here I am, kind of going back to your. Uh, your scale of commitment and talent and skill and opportunity. And it, it was really always a, a question for me, not necessarily of commitment, because I could commit myself 100% to the right things. Opportunities, you know, if I find the right thing, I can, you know, absolutely pursue that with, with as I call it, strategic abandon. And so it's just really a matter of how do I want to apply my talent, and my skills, and what are my core talent and skills, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's where the questions really lied. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, after having tackled those modalities and not really coming up with answers, it, it just became increasingly frustrating. And in author land, uh, they say that you write the book that you most need. Mm-hmm. Right? And so for me, it, it really became a reflection of my own personal need mm-hmm. to try to figure out um, just a, a system that could help me not just get to answers because like... You know, it's great knowing you're like an ENTF or whatever, you know, all those things are. And and to me, it's just kind of like, you know, WTF. It's like, you know, who cares, right? Like, what do you, what do you do with that? Yeah. And then like, you know, what colors your parish? You like, you know, you've got four conversations going on in a room, you know, one about finance and one about sports and one about, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and it's like, I enter that room and all I'm thinking about is like, okay, where's the door? You know, like, how do I get myself out of here? Right. So what do you do with that? And that, that just kind of left more questions than answers, mm-hmm. right? And so that's really why the, the book, uh, from where the book was born, mm. was in my own personal need to create a roadmap for myself. And that's how this whole process began. And then when I created the What Is Your What framework, uh, which we can go over if that's something you want to discuss. But after I created that, I realized that there needed to be more to the book because people really need to understand how to live with purpose and power and conviction. And that then led to really establishing the foundation of, look, we can help you figure out what your what is now. But unless you're building upon a solid foundation then everything's really going to come crumbling down, right? And so I don't want to get you fired up about what it is that you're going to do without everything else being in place. And that became the three sections of the book is the foundation and then the seven life-altering principles and then the what is your what framework. Right, right. Yeah, so I was going to... 
I was going to go into that and I was going to talk about what maybe you can talk about the framework and the principles in, in the answering this question, but what are the key issues that people need to face when they're finding their quote, what? Well, I, I think the key issue really more than anything else is just making sure the light switch is actually on, right? From the standpoint of, I think that most of, of, of us kind of go through life in various periods of the light switch being off and the light switch being on. Light switch being on means that you're really fired up about what it is that you're doing or you're on a journey to figure out what that is. Light switch being off, meaning you're just kind of doing something and just kind of going through it. And you know the motions are there, but there's really no love or fire or passion for it. Mm-hmm. So the light switch being on, I think, is really the most important step. And, and that's where you have to have something... Uh, you know, either either you get re-energized about something that you're doing, or you come across some sort of new experience, and that can be a positive or a negative experience. I mean, if somebody dies who's close to you, that could get the light switch on for you. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you come across somebody who just bought a two hundred million dollar penthouse in New York, and you're reading that article, and you're going, Jesus, you know, like what the heck? I mean, that could be the light switch for you, right? Whatever mm-hmm. it is, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but we we go through, I believe, those ebbs and flows where sometimes uh, that light switch just isn't on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You know, it's not meant in a derogatory sense, but it just is what it is. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Have you ever read the book Designing Your Life by Dave Evans? No. Um, he is he he co-wrote it with a guy named Bill Barnett, I believe is his last name. They're both professors at Stanford. And they they both teach the design, a design, a designing class. So they they um they approached this book about creating your your own life it, using design principles. Mm. And it was really, really interesting. But one of the things that they said in it and it's it's really it's really really a profound thing that we all can let marinate on it in our minds and in our hearts and that is what it, essentially what are you doing or what activities are you engaging in that that quiet the questions mm. like so drinking you know somebody is dissatisfied with life and so what do they do they end up drinking or using some uh form of of drug, physical or otherwise, to escape and to quiet the questions. Mm. When I think that we should really allow those questions to percolate and sure. to, and to marinate. And actually, like you know, I, I love the example you you use in your book of of Dan Miller and his story. And and I I love to segue maybe into the next question, which is what kind of clues. Can our past experiences leave as it relates to our what? 
Because I, I believe that all of the stuff that you went through, that Dan went through, that the other, all of the other examples that you gave throughout your book went through are, have prepared us to step yeah. into what we are called to be. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I love your point about the, the questions and I don't want to sit here and, and, and tell everyone that that's, you know, the, the right approach. I think it is an approach. I will say that, you know, for me, some of those things and others may find it with other um, ways that in, in some minds may quiet the questions, but you know, for me, and uh, I'm open and honest about this, you know, I, I, I smoke weed on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, uh, that actually, uh, and to some people, they would say, <clears throat> you know, that that's that's numbing you, right? Drinking could be the same sort of thing where that people would say, hey, you know, that that's kind of numbing you. And so I would just simply say, you know, it's it, to each his own, right? And so right. for me, some of the best ideas and some of the best questions that I've been able to answer uh, have been under the influence, right? So right. it's, you know, but it is, uh, but there are other ways, I think, for sure. Uh, to really sort of just uh, snuff out that that creativity. And- Are you familiar with Stephen Kotler? Uh, it's a familiar name, but I can't place him. So he's written. Um, you should read this book because uh, he talks about what you just described. Yeah. Um, but he wrote a book called Rise of Superman, and he just wrote a, a great book with another guy named Jamie Wheel called Stealing Fire, mm. and it it talks about. You know, his their whole mission is about designing a way to get into a, a flow state. Got it. Uh, Got it. Right. So and, that uh, and, and so it differs from person to person. And so anyway, you should it's a tangentially related topic, but you should you should read that book. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too deep on this, but I do want to say, uh, you know, with regard to what Dan went through and what what I've gone through and so on. Um, I, I do believe that if things come too easy, I, I, I don't think we can appreciate the fruits of that labor. I, mean, I just think it's really just as simple as that. And, and I think you have to go through some degree of trial, some degree of tribulation uh, in order to really appreciate what not having those trials and tribulations look like. And so, yeah, it's uh, all you got to do is look at these kids, you know, who are trust fund kids and you know, they end up with all this money thrown in their lap and, and they don't know how to be decent human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dance. But, mm-hmm. you know, at, uh, at, at its core, I really do believe that if you can gain clarity on what your core gift is, the vehicle that you will use to share that gift and then the people that you're most compelled to serve. And it's the gift, the vehicle and the people that make up the, what is your, what framework. I do believe that if you can gain clarity on those three things, and most people go through a lifetime without having clarity around one of those things, let alone all three. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you can get clarity on those three, uh, you've got all the pieces you need to do something pretty stellar. Yeah, totally. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, it, it, it's so, important and and today in the world that we live in in the modern western civilization we have people that are literally living life passively and they're just they they are they are there but the lights aren't on and they are occupying space and they're not being present you know they're like mm-hmm. and it's because so i 
I believe that um, the story I I tell all the time is that, and I and I relate it to people's financial planning as well. And I say that people's financial plans and their lives are like a coffee mug holding souvenir pens, right? It's mm. doing something, but not necessarily the right thing. Yeah. This coffee mug was that was created to hold liquid, you know, mm-hmm. whiskey, coffee, milk, tea, coffee, right. and whiskey, you know, <laughs> and uh, and the same thing is true of each of us. We were created for a purpose. We were created with unique gifts and abilities, and it's our responsibility to cultivate that. Now, the problem is, is that like a lot of souvenir coffee mugs, that other people print their messages on our purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly we were like, oh, I guess I'm just an inspirational coffee mug and uh, or I'm an inspirational message. And mm-hmm. and so we end up allowing other people to put their story on imprint their story on us. And we end up living their story and not our own. Mm-hmm. And it's time like right now, like uh, my big initiative right now. And I, I just get pumped up about it is to break that paradigm. It's to change it right now. We are in the most important time in history where people need to flip the switch. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a, it's a great metaphor or simile or analogy. I never can't remember which one it, uh, which, <laughs> analogy, uh, meta, whatever. I think it, you know, at least it's yeah. not an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that's really, really good. And, and I do think that that's what ends up happening is, you know, we, we, um, collectively end up really living out the whims and the agendas of others. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talk about reinvention quite a bit. And, and I believe that you have the ability to reinvent your life literally on a dime. I mean, at any moment uh, in, in time, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's often, you know, when you think about reinvention, it's often uh, simply a reflection of kind of shedding the shackles of the personalities and the outfits and the the whims and the agendas of others, right? That we've taken on over the years and not really doing anything new necessarily so much as just kind of getting back to the core of who you really are and Mm -hmm. understanding what really puts fire in your soul. So you've got two kids, um, a boy, girl, or... Uh, uh, boys boys okay um what are you doing right now to cultivate these principles and this framework in them and make sure that they go through life with the lights on yeah uh i I think it's really a matter of just exposing them to as much as possible Mm -hmm. i think that's our goal as parents it's not to it's not to tell them what to do but just to give them opportunities to try lots of things, right? Whether it's hiking or biking or swimming or baseball or drawing or, you know, meditation or, you know, you name it. Uh, I just think it's, it's our goal to see what they gravitate towards and not push them in any specific direction, mm-hmm. but, just give them the exposure that they need music. I mean, you know, technology, right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll, they'll know when they're on the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's a delicate balance of mm-hmm. trying to push your kids towards something that you think is good for them. And, mm-hmm. 
uh, and letting them find their their own way. But at the end of the day, I think it really just boils down to having a conversation with them about the fact that they can literally do whatever they want to do. And Mm -hmm. not every child is fortunate enough to be able to hear that conversation. And this is, uh, I mean, our kids are incredibly lucky where, I mean, our youngest at this point, and he's been saying this for a couple of years now, um, you know, he's wanting to be a a film director, right? Oh, wow. Cool. Or whether that'll stick, I don't know. Yeah, so he's been he's been consistent with his uh, love for for film, and so you know what do we do? We, we expose him to different movies, we give him a, a phone where he can actually record videos. You know, if that's the kind of thing he wants to do, right? So uh, once they demonstrate an interest, I think it is our our responsibility to give them as much opportunity to to pursue it uh, as possible. I mean, my, my our older child. You know, just kind of into baseball right now, kind of into you know the talking to friends on the Snapchats and the Instagrams and so on, whatever. And so, uh, so be it. You know, we'll we'll see what what comes up for him, but we just have to do our job of keep putting him in front of different things and and allow him to to find uh, that magic for himself. Totally. So imagine it's it's three years from today. You are you know you've taken advantage of all your core strengths, your gifts. Uh, all of the framework, the the what is your what framework, and you've you've experienced the financial rewards, but more importantly, you see the impact that you've had in in your family's life, in your community's life, and then the lives of those that interact with the work that you create. So, what does that look like to you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm. I'm a I'm a bad planner like that, <laughs> <laughs> and and I know that having that sort of uh, a vision uh, is super important to bring those sort of things to fruition. But the the honest truth is, I don't know. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know what that looks like because I just I I honestly feel. Like you never, you never hit that arbitrary line in the sand, mm-hmm. and whatever that line in the sand is that we draw for whatever reason, whether it's in our finances or the relationships or how our kids are, et cetera. I mean, we always scratch out that line and we just move it farther down the path. So, my my main goal, my main objective is to just try as best as I can. Uh, to to really have positive impact here at home first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then whatever happens outside of that, I think is really just a bonus. I think that, 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 that what you just said about not necessarily having a line in the sand is, is actually a good thing because the sand in and of itself is there to allow the, the line to be moved and reshaped and maybe it becomes a circle and not a line, you know, that's the mm-hmm. whole concept of the sandbox. And I think that we are living in this, this world today where we can create uh, anything we want as we've, as we've talked about. So before we wrap up the the conversation today, I want to make sure that we give people an opportunity to, to connect with you and where, where can they go online to, to interact with your work? Sure. So, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the uh, the book, What Is Your What? And uh, we actually do give the entire book away for free. Mm-hmm. So happy uh, for folks to grab that and see how it sits with you, see what opens up for you. 
Uh, so whatisyourwhat.com is, uh, is probably the best place for folks to start. Okay. Okay. Then I always have three questions that I ask of every guest. And the first is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess, okay, so a skill you currently have and turn it into a superpower, what would that be? Uh, uh, any skill set and turn it into a superpower. That's, um, that's interesting. I, um, I think the the biggest skill that I have is really just being able to kind of see in Gretzky terms where the puck is going. Mm -hmm. So, so how I would turn that into a superpower is a really good question. Um, I, I honestly don't know because I mean, that's like, that's one of those skills that I have that I don't know what form that would take. Maybe you, uh, maybe you have an idea around that, but I just, yeah. I've always seemed to have my finger on the pulse mm -hmm. uh, of what's, of what's next. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, to be honest with you, the, the main superpower uh, would probably be slowing down because I've always been way too early. Hmm. So it's hmm. like, I gotta, I would probably have to do something where I was able to, to bring myself into that place like five years from now, mm -hmm. as opposed to in this moment of time, because mm -hmm. uh, I get impatient yeah. before the big hit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I'm typically a, a, a go getter and, and take an, get an idea and run with it. And then, uh, look behind me and I see a lot of, uh, uh broken things, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm going slow to go fast. And, um, and doing a lot of investigating, but that is a really great superpower. And as you continue to think about that question later, you know, superpowers are used in the service of humanity. So, you know, when you take, think about that skill that you currently possess, which is to uh, have the ability to see where the puck is going, I would just say, think about that, that in, in terms of how you can serve humanity and you're doing it to a certain degree already. So yeah. Yeah. No point. Well taken. The next question is, what are three lies that high performers tell themselves that prevent them from realizing their full potential? Uh, three lies high performers tell themselves that prevent them from realizing their full potential. Um, I would say number one uh, is that they have to keep performing at a high level. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You know, because uh, I do think that there's something to be said for getting so caught up in the game that uh, that you really forget how to live. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, that's certainly number one. Right. That they that they just have to continually win that game. Mm -hmm. That's, that's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, um, I would say that the the biggest lie they probably tell themselves is that they're the only ones that can do it. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, and, and most high performers that, that I know um, just feel like they are literally the only ones who can accomplish that specific result. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's a huge fallacy in thinking. Mm. Uh, and then number three, uh, I think that the, the biggest lie that the high performers tell themselves uh, is that they're any better or different than anyone else. I love that. That's a, that's a powerful one. And, and, you know, I interviewed, a few, I've interviewed a few Navy SEALs uh, in, in, you know, on the show. And one of them, I was talking to him off mic about ego and, and about conflict between SEALs. And he's like, Mike, you got to understand, like, when we, we have to believe that we're the best, like that, that there's no one better than us. And, and so we're naturally, we're going to engage in, in some egotistical conflict 
uh, even in, in the team because our life depends on it in, in yeah. a combat situation, you know, but it is something when you do have that kind of belief and especially when you're in a situation where it's not necessary, um, it, it, it can cause a lot of uh, breakdowns and unhealthy things to occur. The last question is, comes from a title of a book by a guy named Clay Christensen who wrote Innovator's Dilemma, but he also wrote a great book called How Will You Measure Your Life? That is the mm. question. Yeah. So how will I measure my life is a question. Then I would have to answer that with, you know, quite simply, uh, how are my relationships with my kids on my deathbed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who, who am I surrounded with in my final days? And, uh, and, and that, will, that, that will really demonstrate... Uh, the, the quality of my existence, I think, and uh, you know, if there's if, if there's two people there, then I, then I know I probably not has much of an impact as uh, as I needed to have. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that, I think that would be the best measurement for me. That's awesome. Well, Stephen Olsher, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. This has been a great conversation, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Yeah, my man. Thanks for having me. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.